Life Audio. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Salty Saints Podcast. I'm Zach. And I'm not. I was like, do one. I was like, what, what, what? That's not what he's supposed to say. That's Randy. I'm Randy. He's not very compliant today. Uh, I'm feeling it, man. <laughs> yeah, Christmas is here, man. Um, I'm the Grinch. That's no, no. I'm the Grinch. Remember, you are. Just, you got the costume. I just to bought a it. costume. It's for real. Today we're talking about. A very interesting apologetics-based question here. Which is kind of vaguely related to Christmas. Yeah, kind of, sort of, right? It's the Christmas season. This is the time when we talk about Jesus Christ, God coming down into the flesh, becoming a human being, Jesus Christ himself, right? But the question stands among many Muslims, Jews, atheists, agnostic scholars who ask the question, but did Jesus even ever claim to be God? Yeah. And that's a good question. That is a question that merits an answer. Which is why we're going to try to do that today. Yeah. Uh, but we're going to do that right after a quick word from our sponsors. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Okay. So, did Jesus claim to be God? Yes. All right. See you guys later. Um <laughs> But <laughs> it's not that clear. Unfortunately, well, no, not unfortunately. Uh, the fact is he never came right out and said, I am God. And you brought up the point we should probably spell out why that is, right? Yeah. Like he's God. I, you know, I hear Muslim apologists make this question all the time, make this point. They say, well, he's God. Why wouldn't he make it plainly obvious for us? Why wouldn't he just come right out and say, I right. am God? Right. So? Um, I can think of two reasons. The first one, uh, he wanted to have a ministry. <laughs> the minute you stand up and say, I am God, in the Jewish nation, you were killed. <laughs> or by the Romans. They don't want you claiming to be the new rival to Caesar. That's true. That's true. You know, I mean, that's that's why he was fair game for trial eventually right. is because he made a messianic claim. Right. Right, right. 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 And so now he is fair game as a political rival to the Caesar. And there is this thing called the messianic secret where uh, Jesus, after doing a miracle that merits attention, 
says, don't tell anybody. Right. He does that inside Israel in the early part of his ministry. Outside of Israel, he's pretty consistent saying, hey, go spread the word. Go let everybody know. Right. Which is interesting. And then towards the end of his ministry, he no longer says, don't tell anybody. And I think there again, it was because he wanted to have three years where he could uh, walk around with his disciples, basically prepare them. And if he was going to stand up and make the claim that he was God, that was going to shorten anything that he did. Basically, that would then become the focal point of everything that he did. Well, I I don't remember which miracle it is, but he tells them not to go tell. They do go tell, as they so often do. Right, yeah. And from that point on, he's not allowed in the cities anymore. That's right. He has to sleep outside in the wilderness. It's Mark chapter 1, verse 40-something or other, 46. Right. So, like, the moment word starts spreading about this guy's miracles, it, it starts changing the way his ministry looks. And I think you're really onto something there with, you know, he, he wanted a very particular kind of ministry and to just come right out and start making bold claims would have shortened it um, like insanely. Right. His major ministry was not with the crowds. He did not come to be applauded and, and celebrated by the crowds. He came to prepare 12 guys. So a lot of what he did was uh, drawn out so he could take these guys through three years in which they eventually came to the realization that, hey, this guy is the Messiah and this guy is divine. He is also in some way, shape, or form that we don't understand He's God. Yeah. So that's a couple of the views. What's now, the other one you the, were thinking? The, the second reason is because they actually lived in a culture, the Roman culture, in which they said uh, gods would walk among men. Um, we see this later on, Acts chapter uh, 17, Paul and Barnabas. Uh, no, no, no. That would be Acts chapter 14. Paul and Barnabas uh, go walking uh, through a city and uh, they uh, cast the demon out of a girl and or, or they do something. I forget what it is. And they say, oh, the gods have come down and they're walking among us. Yeah, they're calling him Zeus and Barnabas Hermes. Barnabas is or... Zeus and Paul is Hermes. Hermes, in addition to be the fast guy, the guy with the Adidas uh, uh, slippers <laughs> on, uh, he was the one that created language. He created the written language and the spoken language. So Paul was the speaker. Barnabas was the leader. Mm. But they said gods would come and walk among men. And that was a common Greek concept. That is a common Greek concept. And Jesus did not want to be confused with that, or he didn't want people to confuse what he was saying with that either. He was God in a very different way. Yeah, he wasn't one of one of these gods you've heard right, of. He's the right. God. So he never actually comes right out and says, uh, "quote unquote," I am God. Right. Yeah. But that's what a lot of people want to hear. 
Yeah. Because that's yeah. easy. That's easy to digest. What Jesus did was much more subtle. It was much more nuanced. But to somebody who knew their stuff, you know exactly what he's saying. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's it being was, very clear. It was much more didactic, too. People came to the realization. Right. Which as is, he led them through certain things. I mean, that's kind of how God always has worked, though, right? Like, you think about like oh, yeah. Moses arguing with God. Like, hey, please don't kill Israel. Like, I'm here to to stand on their behalf. Please don't do this. Like, that wasn't for God. God let that happen for Moses, yeah. right? Like, yeah. God has always desired us to come to an understanding of him he doesn't change. He's unchanging. He's right. perfect. Right. So he does things in a way to to teach us, to help us to understand who he is, to wrestle with him in a way, you know? Um, And so you were talking about a pretty cool website you found. Um, And an uh, individual, the guy's name is Robert Bowman. This is so... Uh, this is my anti-plagiarism uh, statement. <laughs> All this comes from Bowman, but it's it's great stuff. The website is ratiochristi.org, and it's all about apologetics. It's uh, uh, written documents. It's not free. Uh, you do have to pay for most of the documents, not all of them, Um but uh, it's it's super stuff. It's very very good. In all fairness, we don't know a lot about them. I I don't think they're good though. They're uh, good. Uh, yeah, okay. I've had a friend of mine uh, uses them heavily, okay. and he he's uh, he's legit. He's okay. on the up and up. I thought you just found him, so I just wanted nah. to put a disclaimer out there and be like, you know, I don't know. No, right, cool. he introduced me to this one. Uh, this comes from an article uh, that uh, uh, Robert. Bowman wrote called is Jesus God. Okay. And he uses an acronym. The acronym is hands H A N D S. Okay. And says that first of all, H Jesus accepts the honor that would be accorded God. Another way of saying that is from time to time in Jesus life, people came and worshiped him. Now, there are times that angels appear and people fall before the angels to worship them. And the angel is very careful to say, Oh, no, 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 don't do that. I'm, I'm, uh, just a created being like, like you are. Not exactly like you are, but right. I'm created. I am not God. Don't worship me. Daniel does that. I think, uh, what are some of the other cases? Do you remember? We've talked about this in some other podcasts, I think. It's tough to differentiate because some of those encounters are the angel of the Lord. And that gets a little wonky because the angel of the Lord is right. pre-incarnate Christ appearing. Yeah, yeah. Right? Uh, Samson's parents. Uh, his father's name is Manoah. And uh, I think the... Nope. It's the angel of the Lord because okay. he he's quoted saying today we saw God. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Okay, yep. that's why it gets tricky. <laughs> yeah, it does, and I'm I'm not going to remember. But you're but, right. I mean, like, is yeah. it Gabriel that appears before Mary? You know, like, yeah, yeah. I don't think afraid. she tries to worship him, but I think in Daniel when the angel comes to Daniel, Daniel bows down and the angel says, no, no, no. 
No, I'm, I'm just a messenger. Now, Daniel has a vision of the Son of Man. That is different. But the point is, people bow down and worship Jesus, and he doesn't tell them no. Right. He accepts their worship. Right. Because I mean, only God is worthy of worship, right? I mean, that's the whole yeah, deal. Right. Okay, I, let's let's kick a- angels out of the way for a second. Like, think about like Daniel and his friends. They're not going to bow down to right. any kings before God, right? right? right. Because they're not they're they are not, not God, worshiping, right? right? Um, and so only God is worthy of worship. Yet Jesus accepts worship. Okay. Jesus even says, uh, everyone who honors the son honors the father. If he doesn't honor the son, he is not honoring the father. So Jesus accepts the honor that is uh, due to God. Yes. He allows people to worship him. Mm -hmm. A, attributes. There are certain attributes that Jesus has that are only given to God. In fact, here again, Jesus' own words. Um, again, I think it's in the book of John. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a, that's a pretty wild statement. You know, I could see somebody skeptical of this though, claiming, well, if man's made in the image of God, couldn't you say that about anyone? Playing devil's advocate. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. that's why I think the attributes go deeper than that. They do, they do. Uh, that's that's only one. Uh, Jesus says Matthew eighteen twenty, wherever two or three are gathered, there I am in the in the midst. Of. Um, if he's just a guy with some students, how can he say that? Exactly. That is claiming. Uh, what Greeks would call omnipresence. Yeah. Uh, God is everywhere. And it sounds very much like, uh, the book of Psalms. David says, uh, if I were to take, uh, flight on the wings of the morning, I couldn't escape from you. You are everywhere I go. You know, this is an interesting thing too. Where, where is that written? What book and where in the book? It's in the book of Psalms. No, 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 no. Oh. Jesus. Jesus. Oh, Matthew chapter 18, verse 20. 18. What's happening around there? That's pre-crucifixion, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So what's interesting about But it is the Passion that? Week. Okay. But I'm saying Jesus is making that statement right there, saying where two are gathered in his name, two or more are gathered in his name, he's there in the midst, right? Yep. Okay. How can that be true if he's living in an earthly body with them at that moment in time? So if there are other followers of Jesus elsewhere gathered, he's saying he's with them. How? Through the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. So this is Trinity language taking place as well, is kind of what I'm pointing out here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus uh, claims to be eternal. That's an attribute of God. He says, and we'll come back to this in a, in a different vein, before Abraham was, I am. Yeah. Uh, he he says, I've been around for a long time, guys. Yeah. Okay. Anything else on, on attributes? Well, there's a few I can think of, but we'll come back around to those with some other things I want to iron out.
Okay. But yeah. Okay. So that's H-A. N are names. Hmm. Jesus accepts names that are reserved for God. For example, Lord, uh, they call him now. It is true that the word Lord was a common title. Sure. But with Jesus, they tend to use it in a little bit different way. It's more than just Mr. Jesus. It's uh, you are my Lord. You are the one who who governs me. Um, my Lord and my God, right? Is Thomas, that Thomas? Thomas says that after the resurrection when he sees Jesus. Uh, in, in that case, Jesus... Uh, on apparently that first Sunday, Jesus just appears in the middle of uh, 10 of the disciples. Judas has killed himself. And Thomas, I don't know, he's out. He's he's at the Target, I guess, shopping for food or whatever. <laughs> but, uh, the other 10 see him when Thomas gets back. They said, we saw Jesus. Thomas says, yeah, right. No, they, no, 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 we really did. He said, unless... I put my fingers in his hands and put my hand in the wound of the spear in his side. I won't believe. Seven days later, next Sunday, he appears again. He sees Thomas. Jesus walks up to Thomas and said, Thomas, here are my hands. Here's my side. Stop disbelieving. Believe. And Thomas says, my Lord, and my God. Wow. It, it didn't get any clearer than that. Yeah. Now, that's not Jesus, though. Jesus didn't say, Thomas, I am your Lord. I am your God. Thomas said, you are my Lord. You are my God. Right. So. Yeah, Jesus yeah. doesn't turn him away. He, oh, he definitely he accepts, accepts it. it. Definitely. That, that's another one of those worship moments that we just talked about, those honor moments. One of the other things, and I would never thought about this until I read what Bowman uh, wrote here. Uh, Jesus calls himself uh, the bridegroom. Now, he does that frequently. He says, he is the groom. The disciples come to him and say, uh Pharisees are saying that John taught his disciples how to fast. You've never talked to us about fasting. Uh, you go to parties all the time. You go out and eat all the time. And Jesus says, you don't fast when the groom is here. It's time to party. I am the groom. The groom of what? Well, in the Old Testament, Yahweh. Jehovah God identifies himself as the groom of Israel. Yeah. Jesus identifies himself as the groom of his group of believers, which are eventually called the church. Um, but he identifies himself as the groom. That is something that only God did. Yeah. You also get a statement from Jesus in the book of John where the crowd gathers together and uh, they're threatening to stone him and they say, uh, you don't follow Abraham's ways. And Jesus says, you know what? Before Abraham was, I am. And I think there there's a something that happens in Israel, and 
not only in the first century, but, but all through Israel. They avoided saying, I am. Yeah. Because that was the name that God used to identify himself. Jesus uses it. He says, I am. Uh, before Abraham was, I am. And the crowd started looking for stones. They were going to stone him right there. Why? Because that is a clear identification. I am God. Which they saw as blasphemy. They saw that as blasphemy. Right. We're going to kill him for it. Right. So those are just some of the names. There are others. Yeah, for sure. Um, Son of Man being one. We'll, Very definitely. We'll come back around to that. Yeah, we need to. Because that's Son a controversial man. one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, the way it's used in Daniel, uh, we'll come back around and take a look at that. Mm-hmm. Okay. D are his deeds, the things that he does. Um, things like Jesus has power over nature. Mm. Um, he speaks to the wind and the waves and they die down. He doesn't pray. He doesn't say, God, would you please calm this storm? He speaks to the wind and the waves. Right. And they're quiet. He claims he has the right to forgive sin. Uh, this is uh, Mark chapter 2. The paralytic is brought to him and Jesus looks at him and he says, I forgive you your sins. And the teachers of law that were there correctly said, nobody has that power, just God. Now, anybody can forgive, but if you punch me in the face, I have the power to forgive you for punching me in the face. If you punch Jason in the face, I can't do a thing about that. I do not have the power to forgive you of that sin. Jesus claimed that power. He looked at the man he had never met before and said, all of the sin that you have committed in your life, I forgive you of that. Right. That is forgiving. On behalf of God. On behalf of God. Which only God can do. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, Jesus raises the dead. Now, we get that in the Old Testament. There are seven people raised from the dead in in Scripture. Three in the Old Testament, and then three in Jesus' ministry. So there were prophets who did this as well. Uh, in each case, when the prophet, well, in two of the three cases in the Old Testament, when the prophet raised the dead, they prayed, and God did it. In uh, the first three cases in uh, Jesus' ministry, um, Jairus' daughter, for example, uh, he takes her by the hand and he says, little girl, get up. He speaks to her directly. Mm -hmm. He is claiming that authority over death. Yeah. The other is Lazarus. The third is uh, there's a funeral going by, and we're not given any details about that. But it says that Jesus touched 
the beer that uh, they were carrying the young man in, and he got up. With Lazarus, he goes to the to the uh, uh, opening of the tomb, and he, he does pray. He says, Lord, uh, let them see your power. And then he looks in the tomb, and he says, Lazarus, get up. Come on out. And he does. So, again, Jesus is claiming power over death. Uh, Jesus says that he will judge all mankind. He does that in Matthew 25. He says that, that he will sit to judge all of mankind on the last day. Oh, that's something that God does. All through the Old Testament, that was what the day of the Lord was when he comes as judge. Jesus says, I am that judge. Yeah. So we've got honor, honor, attributes, names, deeds. And the S is the seat of God. Jesus sits in God's seats. Now, I mentioned Matthew 25. What Jesus actually says there is that he will sit in uh, the seat of God. Matthew chapter 25, verse 31, uh, Jesus says, When the Son of Man, going to come back to that, yep. comes in his glory with all the angels with him, he will sit upon his glorious throne all the nations will be gathered in his presence, and he'll separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Mm. There's the judge. He is sitting in the judge's throne. Yeah. Uh, doing what a judge does. Something that God said he would do in the last day. So he sits in God's seat. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's God's seat, right? Right. You can't sit in God's seat if you're not God. That's just the way it is, right? Um, I like that. I think that's a pretty cool little way of remembering. Yeah, yeah. And it's, I mean, yeah. No, Jesus does not come right out and say, I am God. But he uses God's names. He has God's attributes. He uh, accepts God's honor. He does God's deeds, and he sits in God's seat. Yeah. Right. If it looks, acts, and quacks like a duck, <laughs> it's a duck. <laughs> right, right. Um, so I, I like that. I, I kind of want to tackle this from another angle as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the great skeptic, Bart Ehrman, Ehrman however you want to say it. Um, I mean, that dude is probably... I don't want to say single-handedly responsible, but he's played a large part in the deconstruction of a lot of people. I'm okay. sure of it. Okay. Um, and I've talked to a lot of people that, that claim they quote that. him. They uh, quote well, him. well, they say. I mean, how much of a part he's played? And he's a very intelligent man. Um, he's a biblical historian, um, okay. and he is a non-believer. He is. Uh, we, we would probably say agnostic leaning atheist somewhere in there right okay okay um but he 
believes in the historical reality of Jesus Christ. Um, so that's always a fun one to quote on people who say Jesus never existed, is to throw Bart Ehrman in their face because he's a lot of people's firepower for those he says arguments. He existed. And he says he existed, as right. as would any historian worth their salt, right? Yeah. Um, where Ehrman would definitely be in disagreement with us is he would say that Jesus never actually claimed to be God. Um, his argument comes from the fact that you've got the three synoptic gospels. Right. Right. You got Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And there's this common argument that Matthew, Mark, and Luke are all pulling a lot of the same information from somewhere. And so. Well, they have a similar structure. Right. And so there are those who believe in something called Q. Right. Which would be the source that the they source. are pulling Quill from. In, in German. Yeah. Um, is that like Kohelet? Is that like teacher? No. Oh, okay. Totally know. different. Got it. Um, so then you've got Matthew and Luke that are pulling their various uh, – they have like their own things the, that are – They have information that's not included in – It's not shared. Mark. Right. Right. So it's like – Information solely from Matthew. That's, that's exclusive to Matthew. solely from Luke, right? So then you've got M and L. So you've got Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Q, M, and L. Right. Is what he's saying. S- supposedly. And his argument is, in all and, of that. And many scholars, including evangelical scholars, accept that. Sure. And I'm going to be honest. I, I've read a little bit about it. I haven't read enough to, to have any thoughts on the whole, you know, whether Q is a thing or not. Right. Um, but there you go. That's a thing. Now you yeah. know that. Uh, <laughs> that's something people think. Um, well, the reason I'm bringing this up is he's saying in Matthew, Mark, Luke, Q, M, and L, there is Jesus doesn't claim to be God. Right. But that Jesus's claims to be God are found in John. And he, if I'm, I, I don't want to misrepresent him, but from the way I understand Ehrman's position is that he believes that came at a much later date. And I and think even evangelical scholars sure. would say, yeah, it's probably 85, 90. So he's not giving it the historical credibility that he would give Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Or, that would be his argument. Or saying that John is more likely to have put his own words in Jesus' mouth. Right. Because he's... Now, 60, 70 years removed. And so this is kind of where people would start getting into that, like, oh, but the story takes a different form over time kind of conspiracy, right? right? right, right. So with that said, uh, he is right about the way Jesus talks about himself in John. It is much more on the nose. Yes, it is. But that's because the book of John is trying to show the deity of Jesus Christ. Right, right, That's the point of the gospel of John. It's in the book of John that you get the statement, before Abraham was, I am, which is a pretty bold statement. Right. It's in the book of John where John says, uh, what is it? It's it's John 5, I think, after Jesus does something. Where everybody falls down. No, no, no. That's John 18, but um, at, at one point here, John just makes uh, the statement that 
Jesus. Uh, I'm going to find it here. John 5.18. There we go. There we go. John makes this statement. The Jewish leaders tried all the harder to find a way to kill him. For he not only broke the Sabbath, he called God his father, thereby making himself equal with God. Right. Again, not in Jesus' mouth, but um, th- th- this fellow would say, no, that's John putting his own spin on this. Sure. So w- with that said, I think the best way to tackle this is to kind of play his game a little bit and say, okay, cool, then let's not look at John. And we've already done that. Okay. Um, just going through that hands exercise yeah. there, yeah. you listed off a lot of things that weren't in John right. to prove the right. deity of Christ. Right. But I just uh, – I did a simple little Google search, and I found uh, the website called Stand to Reason Clear Thinking Christianity. Once again, don't know much about it, but the article is just Bible verses. So I thought, hey, that's that's a cool resource. Yeah, it's by, wrong with that. Yeah, Tim Barnett, he was just um, – basically gathering through uh, the gospel of Mark spots that point to the deity of Christ. And I thought, oh, cool. It's the gospel of Mark. Let's just kind of run through it and see what we got here. Um, First up is in the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. uh, Sorry, it says the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. That's how it starts. (laughs) That's now Mark. This is the book of Mark. Yeah. Now this is not Jesus making this claim. But this is very clear that those writing this book believe that. Okay, so that, you know, maybe not that, but let's keep going. And he would say Mark is one of the earliest uh, things to be written. I think everybody would agree with that. No, not everybody. everybody. We got to be careful with saying everybody. Yeah, that's fair. I don't. You don't? I don't. Okay, fair. Uh, John the Baptist applies Isaiah 43 to Jesus. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. When you go to what Isaiah 43 says, it says a voice is calling, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness, make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. (laughs) John is quoting Isaiah 43, referring to Jesus coming, right? Calling him Lord. Calling him Lord, but that passage is clearly written about God, right? And so here you go. This is being laid at Jesus, and you don't hear Jesus going, no, no, guys, stop. Like, no. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You get to uh, the third one. Let's see here. Uh, Yeah, this so at the baptism of Jesus, this is when the heavens tear open, the Spirit descends on him like a dove. So you have the Holy Spirit. John doesn't even talk about the baptism of Jesus, I don't think. No, I don't think it does. Um, The Holy Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove. And you hear a voice from heaven saying, you are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. This is one that I always have a really hard time understanding, like modalists, oneness, Pentecostals. Like, where are you – what do you do with this? Exactly. Jesus – Is a ventriloquist? Yeah. yeah, (laughs) Jesus is getting baptized. The Holy Spirit is descending on him. At the exact same time, the Father is saying, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. You have this moment of the Trinity existing right here. 
And then later you get the transfiguration. Same thing happens. Cloud comes, envelops Jesus, and a voice comes, says, this is my beloved son. Right, right. Um, you get the uh, demons, the unclean spirits. They call him the Holy One of God. Yeah. Um, they know that he is the Son of God. One of them, I think, actually says, you are the Son of God Most High. Uh, that may... May not be this one. May not be Mark. I think it's Luke. I think it's when he cast the demons out of the man in the temple or in the synagogue. I'll let you kind of search for that. Oh, right. There it is. Uh, Luke chapter 4, verse 14. He doesn't say son of the Most High. He says, go away. Why are you interfering us with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Now, once again, I mean, so far, we have not seen Jesus saying these no, things. No, But it is important to note Jesus' silence at other people saying these things. If Jesus, this kind of comes down to what C.S. Lewis said. He doesn't correct them. Right? Like you were talking about this earlier. We can't just assume that Jesus was just like a nice moral guy. Right, right. If he wasn't God. that That's what Lewis says. He said, the one thing that you cannot believe about Jesus is that he was a good moral teacher. He said he was God. So he is either a total whack job or... He's a charlatan. He's a con artist. Right. Or, or he's who he, said, he is who he said he was. Right. And then the argument here is if he is a teacher of God, right? Because look, even the Jews knew he was a teacher from God, right? Right. Yeah. So if he is a teacher of God, if somebody calls him God and he's not, he would have to tell them, no, I'm not. Kind of coming back to the angels not accepting worship kind of thing. Yeah. Jesus is accepting this worship from them. That is something only for God. If you look at me and tell me I'm God, I am obligated to look at you and say, I absolutely am not. What are you saying? Right? Like I'd be, I'd be looking out for lightning bolts. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yet Jesus says nothing. He accepts it. Luke 4.41, many were possessed by demons. The demons came out at his command shouting, you are the son of God. But because they knew he was the Messiah, he rebuked them and refused to let them speak. Right. Right. And so, I mean, there, like, I'm trying to think of what the, the concept I'm thinking of here is, but like the idea that actions speak louder than words, you know, Jesus's silence here yeah. says something. Oh, it does. It Definitely. matters. Yeah. You can't just say it doesn't. It does. Yeah. It's unmistakably important, right? But the reason I bring that up is because now we're coming to the big fun one, or uh, it'll come back up again at the end here, actually. Um, and he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Lord, even of the Sabbath. I find that part interesting. Okay, son of man, that's not totally hashed out yet. What does son of man mean? I, I hear I hear Muslims bring this one up a lot. They'll say, oh, well, he just called himself the son of man. He didn't call himself the son of God. That's right. different, right? right? 
We'll come back around to that because the very last passage here is also that, and I'd really like to hash that one out because I think that is one of the biggest claims Jesus makes. Um, demons fall down before Jesus and recognize him as the Son of God. Uh, whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. Is that the one you were thinking of? Mark 3.11. Okay, there you go. Again, a demon-possessed man sees him, uh, and when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have, you, uh, what have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. Uh, you see Jesus taking authority about God's law, he says, and he said to them, uh, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? This would tie later with what happens in Acts when Peter has a vision from Jesus, yep. and Jesus declares all foods to be clean. He's saying, he, he is changing that law. He's saying, eat what you want. It, that's not what defiles you. Right. Jesus is actually altering the law of God at this point in time um, because it was to serve a purpose for a time, but now he's yeah. setting yeah. it to the side, right? Only God can do that. Um, Jesus calls people not to be ashamed of him uh, and calling to the crowd uh, to him with his disciples. He said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels or the good news is will save it. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Yep. So at that point, Jesus is saying, I am the Son of Man from the book of Daniel, yeah. who is the Son of God, right? The Father is his is His Father, and he's bringing his holy angels. So, I mean, that's a big one, right? And he's also saying, if you pick up your cross and come die, if you stop trying to hang on to your life, you will find life in me, is what Jesus is saying there, right? Like, he's pointing to himself as the source of life, which is kind of a big deal. So a couple of times here, you've mentioned uh, the vision of the Son of Man in Daniel. Do we need to go there and kind of hash that out? We're coming back around to it again. He does it again. So Where? we got we got a few more. We got a few more before that one. Okay. Um, Jesus is called the Father's beloved Son. Um, a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved Son. So it comes back around. Says that's what you were talking yep. about. Yep, yep, yep. Um, Oh, yeah, when he's talking to the rich young ruler. And uh, as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, that one's fun because people go, Look, Jesus said, Why are you calling me good? Yeah, but that's not the point. Jesus <laughs> said, Why are you calling me good? Because Jesus understands only God is good. Jesus understands he is good, and he's trying to bring this kid to the understanding that Jesus is God, right? Um, there's a few more, but point is we could, we could go on and on, but like you were kind of saying, One of the Randy, ones that you mentioned, I, I, I looked up the discussion on the Sabbath. Uh, the situation was that the disciples were out, and they, it was a Sabbath day, and they 
pick some heads of wheat. Mm. We were eating the wheat, mm -hmm. and Pharisees said, no, you can't. It, it's not the eating, it's the harvesting. The harvesting breaks the law. And that's when Jesus says, um, here's what he says. Haven't you read in the scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God. He and his companions broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. Haven't you read in the law of Moses, the priest on duty in the temple, may work on the Sabbath? This is the point, I tell you. There is one here who is greater than the temple. Yeah. Whoa. Right. Whoa. Right. I mean, and, and add to that, that clearly he sees his interpretation of the law as more authoritative than the teachers. Exactly. And yeah. their views, right? Um, I, you know, I, I was saying, hey, why don't we just skip over these last few, but these last few get really good. So I'm just going <laughs> to go through them anyways. Um and then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, uh, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Okay. Then you get heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. I'm eternal. That's yep. a big one. That's back to attributes of God, right? Yep. Um, but concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Um, it's interesting there that it's no one, not even the angels in heaven, then the Son, not the Son, but only the Father. Jesus is kind of laying out this ranking system of yeah, you've got humanity, then you've got right. So and and the reason the Son would be lower than the Father is because the Son, we find out, has laid his glory aside to serve the Father, yes. right? It's not yes. that he is less God. It's that he has chosen through his function to serve. It's not a matter of identity, but a matter of function. Um, Jesus identifies himself as the Son of Man in Daniel 7, 13 through 14, when he says, but he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. And that is when they turn him over to be crucified. Who sits in God's presence? Only God. Right. Who sits on God's throne? Yeah. Right. Now, you brought up to me earlier, and the reason I wanted to wait till like kind of last to go into Son of Man, is you said that this is something the Jews don't really regard as a God term, that it's a messianic term. Yeah, yeah. And that is such a stretch, like it you is. were saying earlier. It is, it is. Um, but I think we can prove really quick with just a few pieces of scripture that the Son of Man claim is 100% a divine claim. Now, the reason we have to be careful here is because there are people called son of man that aren't Jesus. Right, right. But Daniel and Ezekiel are two prophets that are called son of man. Daniel chapter 8, verse uh, 17, as Gabriel approached the place where I was standing, I became so terrified that I fell with my face to the ground. Son of man, he said, you must understand that the events you've seen to your vision Relate to the end of the time. Right. So there Gabriel calls Daniel son of man. Which we all are. Yeah. Yeah. Right? We're all sons, sons of, of Adam. Adam. Right. That's right. Adam is the Hebrew word for man. But there is a son of man 
in chapter 7. Who is different who, than all other sons of man. <laughs> and yet he's given the title son of man, and I think that is incredibly important. Right. Yeah. So, son of man in chapter 7. Do you have the verses queued up there? 13 through 14. Um, <clears throat> there we go. As my vision continued that night, I saw someone like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient one and was led into his presence. He was given authority, honor, sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. So let's take that and let's pair that against Psalm 2. Um, let's just read the whole thing because it's kind of an interesting psalm. Why did the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you, wise, or you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son or he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Okay. That's the son of man. Yeah. That's the son of man in Psalm 2. This is the king that he has placed on his holy mountain. He said, you are my son today. I become your father. Ask me and I will make all the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth, your possession. You will Break them with a rod of iron, dash them to pieces like pottery. Pair that with what we just found in Daniel 7, 13 through 14. Yeah. Uh, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. That's definitely what that's talking about. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. But wait a minute, wait, because you could still go, okay, so it's a human king. It's a human king that's been placed here, and he's just a man. He's just the Messiah. Wait, Psalm 82. God presides in the great assembly. He renders judgment among the gods. How long will you defend the unjust and show partiality to the wicked? Defend the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. The gods know nothing. They understand nothing. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are gods. You are all sons of the Most High, but you will die like mere mortals. You will fall like every other ruler. Ready for it? Here it comes. <laughs> Rise up, O God. Judge the earth, for all the nations are your inheritance. Wait a minute. 
<laughs> whose inheritance are the nations? Because I just remembered reading that that's the, the king, the human king that God's going to put in, in order, that he's the son of man, right? It's just some guy. He's going to receive them as his inheritance. But wait, how can he receive them as his inheritance? Because the nations are God's inheritance. Unless this king is both man and God. Which is why he's given the name Son of Man. In walks Jesus. Yep. <laughs> you know, yep. like yep. it he is fulfilling the prophecy of the Son of Man. This is a divine claim. It falls flat on its face to say that calling yourself Son of Man through Jesus' perspective and the way Jesus uses it. He doesn't just say, Oh, I'm a son of Adam. No, he is the son of Adam that's going to yeah. come collect his elect and that he's going to come on the clouds of heaven. This is the guy from Daniel. Seven. This is a yeah. big deal. Yeah. That is a yeah. divine claim. Jesus 100% outside of the book of John and inside the book of John and in every other gospel is referring to himself as Jesus or sorry, as God through the acceptance of honor, through the attributes of God, through the names of God, through the deeds of God, and by taking the seat on the throne of God. And that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. That's Daniel and Psalms. Oh, dude. And we read one <laughs> psalm. We could go so oh, yeah. deep. Oh, yeah, yeah, go, yeah. go to Isaiah, the suffering servant. Right. You right. know, go to go to other spots in Daniel where the Messiah is gonna be born a king. He's gonna die, you know? Like I mean, like yep. Yep. he fits all the prophecies. I mean, he is the guy they've been waiting for, but that's not what this podcast is about. We're just saying, did Jesus, <laughs> did Jesus say he's God? Yeah. Yeah, he yeah, did. He did. And it's not a good argument when people say he didn't. They just don't know. They don't know the Bible. Right. And I mean, right. sadly to say, that's just true. Like, Well, and, and, and the reality is they are looking for him to make a simple statement. I am God. No, he doesn't do that. But he does it in a hundred other ways. Right. He was much more he, he was much more clever than that. Oh yeah. He was much more thought out than that. It was poetic. It was prophecy fulfilling. Yep. The ways that he actually did say he's God. Yeah. I mean, he was doing it in a, such a more advanced way. Uh I, I would argue a way that no man could, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I, I think the way he does go about it is much, much more convincing. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. So, this this Christmas season, are we worshiping uh, just some dude born to us? No, we are <laughs> worshiping the Son of God, the one true God, uh, the God of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is who we are worshiping, Jesus Christ. Uh, we hope you guys have an awesome Christmas and that you stay blessed and uh, spend some great time with your family. This yeah. is maybe a little odd Christmas episode for us this year since it's not all that Christmassy, but hey, it's about Jesus, and that's what Christmas is all about. So I guess it is a little Christmassy. Yeah. Uh, with that said, hey, just make sure to to love God this season. Love your neighbors uh, as you love yourself. And, uh, and that means live selflessly for the people around you and for God. Uh, make sure to check us out on our website. That is saltysaintspodcast.com. And to go check out our friends at Life Audio 
and all the great podcasts they've got over there on Bible study and Christian living, how to raise a family, all that good stuff. And until next time, stay salty. No matter what you're going through, you are not alone. Sis, if you've experienced pain in your father-daughter relationship, I want you to know that you are loved and seen. I'm Kia Stevens, host of the Hope for Women with Father Wounds podcast, and I created my show to help you exchange your father wounds for the love of God the Father. Join me for encouragement, wisdom, and scripture. Just search Hope for Women with Father Wounds on lifeaudio.com or wherever you get your podcasts.